Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society. The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide. For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org. I'm Charles Epting from HR Harmer in New York City. And I'm Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. And this is Conversations with Philatelists. Now, Michael, I'm really excited about today's guest. Uh, Tobias Holmans uh, has been a, a friend and colleague of mine uh, since I started in the business. Um, he's actually the gentleman who I lived with when I went to Heinrich Kohler uh, in Germany for, for two months to the way I actually got this job. Uh, he was was kind enough. He and his, his wife were uh, kind enough to host me in their home mm-hmm. for weeks and weeks on end, which uh, I don't know how they agreed to have some <laughs> random American who nobody had met. Uh, yeah. live with them. Uh, but, but in that time, uh, Toby became one of my absolute favorite people and he is a, a mentor and somebody I look up to. And, uh, I, if you can't tell, I'm really excited to have him on the podcast. Yeah, uh, this, yeah. is, this is like, it's amazing how things came full circle. He was interviewing me basically when I went to live with him mm-hmm. and now we're interviewing him. So, yeah. uh, so this is, this is so, so a little bit of background, but I'll let Toby, do most of the talking, but not only does he work for Heinrich Kohler, but he's an expert in Memel and and which is a, a World War One plebiscite and several other uh, European areas. So he's mm-hmm. uh, a, a certified uh, expert who people submit material to, and he writes certificates. In addition to being an auction lot describer and just all around uh, rock star of the philatelic world, mm-hmm. and um, we wanted to make a disclaimer before this episode as well. Yeah, so a little look behind the the curtain is we usually people do th- don't want looks behind the curtains. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you act um, as if this is like interesting knowledge, for people. But no, yes, no, go no, ahead. Well, I mean, a little. Uh, we we're recording the intro as we do for most of our episodes after the actual episode. Um, we spend a decent amount of time talking with Toby and looking at how he certifies material, how, how he expertizes material. So th- there's a there's an incredibly large portion of this episode that that you just need to watch. You need He to shared it. his screen and he yeah. walked us through his process and and yeah, agree. This is one where it, it would be interesting to listen to, I think. Mm-hmm. But if you're not watching on YouTube, you're missing a lot of the uh, the really great stuff. So we urge yeah. everybody if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or or whatever right now Press pause, go to YouTube, and watch this video. Or, or at least listen to it and then make it like notations as to yeah, that's, where. In that's, the... that, that's what I expect of our listeners. <laughs> no, no, no. Pat no, around with them. I mean, I want them to make it. Oh, at twelve fifty-three, I'm gonna have to go see what they show at that timestamp. No, don't do it's that. Possible. Don't, it's possible. Don't listen to the video and make annotations. <laughs> I don't want any of our listeners making annotations. Just pause it completely and go watch the video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's super interesting stuff, um, and it's worth seeing. So it, it's so, definitely yeah. worth seeing. Yeah, not I'm, worth annotating. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, I like listening to audio vision, like audio. Uh, I like listening to audio. You know, I, I, I'm not want myself. <laughs> I don't watch on usually, YouTube. That's usually how audio is consumed okay. by right, the human Charles. senses is by listening <laughs> to it. Let's bring Toby on. All right, here we go. Let's bring him on. Good morning. Hello, Morning. sir. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. It, nice awesome. to meet you, Toby. Hi. Nice to meet you. Yes. <laughs> Toby, to, this is this is Michael with the eBay store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to apologize for my haircut, but uh, since lockdown is only <laughs> over for a couple of days, I had no chance to get a proper haircut. Well, I, I, so, so Toby, to kick things off, can you talk a little bit, uh, just first and foremost, about uh, your introduction to the hobby, how you got interested in in stamp collecting, and then a little bit about what it is you do uh, nowadays, both both professionally uh, in your role with Heinrich Kohler, as well as your uh, uh, expertizing uh, half of your life as well. Yeah, sure, sure. So, actually, I became interested, I guess, rather late compared to other people, I think I must have been like 13 or 14 when I inherited a little collection from my grandmother. She gave it to me because obviously no one else in the family was interested. And she said, well, go have fun with it. It's interesting as she knew I have a thing for history. And so I took, I think it was seven albums. I took them home and I looked at the stamps 
for day and night. And after a few weeks, I realized uh, with the literature I have, I can't do anything because it it's, has a very limited scope. So, and in Germany, we have something called the specialized catalog. So I, I bought this and uh, got involved further and further. And within like uh, six or seven weeks, I decided to uh, apply for an apprenticeship in an auction house. And back then it was, a, it was a very small auction house in Cologne. It doesn't exist anymore, but that's not my fault. <laughs> and um, yeah, I started to work there in, in the school time and, uh, no, not in the school time. What is it? In my holidays. Mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, from there it just continued. From there I started to work in another auction house for a couple of years where I uh, used to work then later. Yeah, so that's how basically I got involved. In and, and where and where you are now, you are uh, an expert for the BPP. Yes, I'm a member of the BPP and the AIP. I think there's probably a lot of Americans who are not familiar with the BPP uh, and the AIP as well. So, could you talk a little bit about what those uh, governing bodies are and and uh, sort of talk about the uh, the, the Maybe this can just segue into the conversation I really wanted to have with you, which is uh, the, the, the differences between American expertising systems and European expertising systems. Okay, so maybe basically then I, I first talk about the BPP, which is what I know best, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in order to become a BPP expert, there is a, basically a two-step uh, process or maybe it's a three-step process, but just let me explain. So you you apply to the, uh, basically it's the CEO of the BPP, and you have to send along your curriculum, uh, certificate of good conduct. It's something from the state where they print out if you've been to prison or whatever. Okay. I'm sure we have something <laughs> like that here in the States too. I'm sure you do. And uh, obviously it should be empty, otherwise you have a problem. Uh, with that along, you send the description of your collection, the list of um, available literature, a list of the technology you have and uh, can use for your expertizations, a proof of your, let's call it card index register. It can be uh, hard copies, but it can be digital as well, no problem. And if everything seems good to the BPP people, you get an invitation for the first exam. And this first exam, it happens once a year where they combine all the people that uh, applied. It used to be in uh, another city. Now it's in the office in Wiesbaden, which is which is quite convenient for me because I'm uh, nowadays one of the guys who's uh, taking the exam from the people. Okay, and the, the first um, exam, which is... Yeah, generally considered to be the hardest task of uh, what's coming. It's uh, almost a full day where people ask you questions, show you stuff, um, want your opinion on stamps, and just general philately. So if you would expertise uh, a why, you also might be confronted with a stamp of Bavaria. So it, it's just to get a gist of how good you are in general philately. Because there are many, many um, things in expertising which you can solve without knowing something about the specific area. It's just the basic knowledge of philately stuff. So the test itself, people present you stock cards with regum stamp, original gum, paint removed, uh, cancellations printed, painted in, altered in whatever kind you can imagine. And you, you have to basically write down your notes, and that's your test. And later you present it to the people, and they tell you, are you good or bad? <laughs> and it, 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 sounds, uh, it sounds very easy, but I, I vividly remember when, when I went there, you know, you go there and you think, well, I'm the king of it all. So. And then you go home small like a, like a dwarf, and... Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I passed, but in the good consciousness that I actually 
know nothing. So that was uh, quite the experience back then. And yeah, so when the day is over, the people there will tell you, well, you failed, then you can come back one more, one more time. And if you fail the second time, you're out because you're yeah, most likely not uh, capable of handling this. <laughs> and so, if, oh, yeah, no, no. go ahead. I was just going to ask you how you prepared for something like that. How did, did you this study is, under someone or? This is actually the, the most tricky part of it all because there's no really, yeah, there's no school or anything. You have to do this all by yourself. And this is maybe one of the uh, yeah, biggest complaints people have towards the BPP that they want experts, but they do not offer any help there. Yeah, we, we have some, some seminars going on, but this is not helping you much. You really have to, to work with the stamps to really understand this in the end. Yeah. Okay, and let's say you passed. Then you will uh, get invited to the second test, which is taking place one day before the annual meeting. And this test will only be on your chosen area of expertise. So this in general is much easier and uh, maybe one out of 30 people fail that test then because it's, it's just questions about uh, your area. And there again, you, you get the stamp and people check your card index register very thoroughly nowadays. So if you, if you, you see my coverage there mm -hmm. yeah a lot of this is full with uh card index register of of stamps and covers people sent you and you can track down the history and so on of stamps yeah so this is basically the second test and if you pass that uh you will become an associate member for three years and during these three years, you are tutored by another BPP expert, which either, either is doing the same area as you or something related to it. So for the next three years, you have a guy you can ask everything who will tell you, no, you didn't get that one too right. Please reconsider before issuing the certificate. And that has proven to be very good that you are outside, you are a member for everyone out there. But for the first three years you're in, you're actually tutored by a very experienced other expert. This does help a lot. And because I guess this is one of your questions uh, later on with you have one expert versus the committee. Right. So from, from, a, from a, a user standpoint, if I have a, a, an American cover, I will submit this to the Philatelic Foundation or to PSE. And then the, the body will assume possession of this item and send it to who they think is the most relevant expert. Whereas if I have a rare stamp of Memel, I send it directly to you. Yes. And I pay you directly and you send it back to me directly. And it is very much one-on-one -on -one between myself, the collector, and yourself, the expert. Yes. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about what that's like, you know, sort of the, the, the pros and cons that, that you see of, um, of, of having, um, you know, you are Mr. Metal, you are the guy. So I think there's a lot of accountability in that regard, but I, I wonder if people might be concerned as well, because the, the Philatelic Foundation, for example, requires that multiple people sign off on an item before it receives a certificate. So uh, on the one hand, you have accountability, but on the other hand, if, if the single expert were to make a mistake, there's maybe not as much oversight. Nope, there may not be as much oversight, but as I said, you are, you are tutored at least for three, uh, three years. And when you uh, do BPP expertizing, it's for a very narrow area where you really are the expert. It's not like you would expertise Germany. I mean, look at the look at just volume one. What is it like? Eighteen forty-nine to nineteen forty-five. It's I don't know how many pages, thousand, and you have like sixty different experts for that. So it, it's always a very small field. Uh, people actually know a hell a hell lot of stuff about. 
And yeah, I guess that's the first difference. I think another interesting difference uh, between the, the European uh, expertising world and the American expertising world, and this is something that, that fascinated me uh, the first time I ever saw you at work, is that in America, you typically don't submit something for a certificate unless it's worth several hundred dollars or if it's yeah. a, an item that's known to be questionable. Whereas you receive submissions for stamps the catalog a dollar. Is that and instead, rather than writing a certificate, you will sign the back of the stamp or issue a mini certificate. Can you talk about uh, sort of why you think there's this difference? Because a lot of people, if they get a um, you know a, a two cent Colombian, they're not going to send that in for a certificate. Mm. Whereas um, you know even the the lower value memelover prints, people want it to be uh, approved by you. Yeah, this I don't even think it's a European thing. It's a very German thing. <laughs> you know, we have so many uh, color varieties and, and plate flaws and whatsoever with, with very low real value. But still, people just want to know if it is the real thing. And many people do it by themselves. But then when they sell it, everyone will tell them, listen, without the BPP signature on the back, it's, it's worth zero and that that's that's the problem but the other problem that arises then is you get a lot of stuff and it's uh yeah i don't want to say it's tough but it's, it's very time consuming to go through hundreds of stamps that are just worth like 10 20 euro mm. and i think many experts would would like to focus more on the stuff 200 and above so where it's really, I don't also don't want to say it's not worth my time to go through these little things. That would be wrong. But uh, the problem is that you have to pay as much, much attention to a $5 stamp as to a $1,000 stamp. It sounds stupid, but I get so much manipulated stuff that's worth less than 20 bucks. Hmm. Yeah, with, with hmm. fake cancellations, fake overprints, uh, yeah. And I guess the Germans just want to be sure what they buy is good. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah but but yeah, sometimes I mean they pay more than the stamps are worth. In reality, just just for peace of mind maybe, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that we uh Michael and I discussed beforehand, uh he's is and and I feel like um this, this must be something you've heard before. You, you work for Heinrich Kohler. You are, are uh, a philatelist. You describe auction lots. You have a hand in the retail side of the market uh, in addition to being an expert. And I, I, I've heard from people that there might be uh, concerns of uh, conflict of interest if somebody is expertizing and then selling what they expertize because it's sort of the, uh, the fox guarding the hen house, I guess you could say. So do, do you ever hear this concern and, and what is your, uh, your your take on that? Obviously, we, we hear that. It's it's uh, not different here in Germany. Some people have very big concerns about that. But let's say for the last 20 years or maybe 15 years, since everything is, is online and visible for everyone, you can screw people once or twice and then everyone <laughs> will know and you're out of the game. And... The other very big pro for experts being also also professional philatelists in, in dealing or auction houses, you just see so much more material and you just get to learn so much more than when you are just an, an hobby expert who sits at home and only sees his small area. Because when, let's say, you, you expertise mammal, and but then you you also see stuff from Danzig, Zar, and the related areas. And if you're not a complete idiot, <laughs> you you uh, will be able to to understand much more just from seeing a lot of stuff. Yeah. So and, I think and, it's good. And and we've mentioned Memel a couple of times. Could you talk about uh, for for people who maybe only know the overprints but don't know anything about the history of of the country 
uh, or the, the plebiscite. Could you talk a little bit about what Memel was and, and also what, uh, what other areas you expertise? Okay, for the second question, I would have to look. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, it was um, the very eastern part of Prussia until uh, basically the end of World War I when uh, it became a mandate. Is that a proper English term? I don't know. You don't know? No. Okay, anyways. The French had the saying for a couple of years. And then uh, basically the Lithuanians went in and it became part of Lithuania. And then 1939, Germany took it back. Yeah. So And, and because of all this... Uh, History wind-ups, there are a lot of uh, complications in, in expertizing. For instance, you you have the German cancellations that were in use up to 1923, and then they appeared back in 1939. So some smart people, knowing that some use stamps are scare from 1923, they just took it, and instead of 1939, it was 1922 again on the cancellation, and they... <laughs> put it all on the stamps and this is uh i don't know if that's uh, also a german thing with these backdated cancellations but they are very keen about it like doing research there on how you can tell if a cancellation has been backdated and it, it works quite well and uh, you can yeah distinguish many of them only if you you have seen thousands of the same stamp and have a proper register of them but that's one of the main problems of Memo. And, and what's interesting about Memo is you have these stamps of France that are overprinted with Memo that are then cancelled by German cancellation. You really get to experience this really messy yeah, political uh, history. Yeah, because all the, the um, German postal clerks, they just stayed there. They, they have been paid and everything. This was all part of the treaty, basically. Yeah, and even even throughout the Lithuanian time, you see it basically all in German. The uh, the letters, everything is still in German. Just the cancellations is is Lithuanian spelling. Hmm. So it, it's very interesting. And even nowadays, if you go, you will still find German signs. You you uh, you went to Memel for a very special time in your life. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, we did a little <laughs> tour there. Uh, for your honeymoon? No, God, no. Oh, I thought it was your honeymoon. <laughs> no, my wife would have divorced me right away. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I see these microscopes behind you. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I, 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 I was fascinated. You, you've showed me in the past how you will uh, do overlays in Photoshop and you will uh, really use technology to advance your uh, expertization. These are tools that were not available to people, hmm. uh, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. So can you talk a little bit about what, uh, you know, what, what is, because Heinrich Kohler, the founder of your company, uh, was a was a great expert. Yes. And many of his opinions still hold true today. So can you talk a little bit about what is the same from, from Heinrich Kohler's days in the early 20th century uh, when you look at a stamp today versus what you can do that he couldn't have even dreamt of? <laughs> yeah. So, of course, the, the, the um, sharing part of this is that you need this original of the stamps. Some may think you can do it just digital. I tried, it won't work. Um, you, you can have a lot of comparison material, especially for cancellations in a digital way. You don't need to own all of this. Um, and really interesting, it, it gets, gets, as you said, when you want to do like, like overlays and compare very small details because usually in the in the old time you had to enlarge something let's say to 400 percent to be really able to tell a forged overprint apart from a genuine overprint if it was done well but this is now very easily done it used to be a very complicated procedure and now you basically just do two scans overlap them and it's done, and you can you can save it right there, and uh, always have a proof of that you actually did compare, and not just said 
uh, will be okay. <laughs> yeah, and then another very, I don't know if you can really see, but there are two microscopes there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, it, it's basically just a gigantic magnifier. Goes up to, let me see, I think like 80 times. And the smaller one here is the one which is maybe even more interesting. You can go up to 960 times. Wow. So, but there, you don't see anything of the stamp anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just paper fibers and pigments and, and so on. But uh, the, the, these pigments are quite interesting as many cancellations, overprints, etc. have very specific compositions of, of ink and, and this you can really tell apart from uh, with the microscope. So in some of my areas, they used basically the same cliche for the genuine and the fakes. And you actually can just tell apart by like minute differences in the uh, alignment and then in under the uh, microscope with the pigments. Can I share my screen here? Yeah, that'd be well, I would love that. <laughs> okay. So just to uh, really show what I just explained, it's much better to show this. So let's see. This is basically my structure here. I saved everything I find interesting. I'm so- Toby, this is all in German. We can't read this. <laughs> It will be good, Charles. Everything. (laughs) These are are just Michel numbers, so it shouldn't be too hard. So, for instance, this is one set of uh, Lithuania. And it has rather primitive um, overprints. You see my screen, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. And you have three rather expensive stamps in the set. And then what I did, I went through thousands of stamps and analyzing the pigment structure and I made this this table and I found out that the three expensive stamp they all share the same pigments and then I can check it here and it shows me wow what the pigment structure should look like and and you have you see this is it's more yeah. lilac yes yeah. is green in reality and if you just look with the naked eye it's all just black. Hmm. So the forgeries, obviously, they, they are just they are plain cheap black. Wow. Okay. And so you can, and you can find more common stamps that share the same characteristics as a comparison. Yeah. This is, yeah this is an important thing you see here in this column. You see a lot of these like normal stamps that cost nothing mm-hmm. have the same ink and what magnification is this at this is uh this is like uh 280 times wow so that that other one goes up to 900 you said yeah wow. but then <laughs> at that, that point you're, you're looking at <laughs> molecules right <laughs> so this then this is 500 times and this is just one pigment now which is which is typical <laughs> for a specific overprint of which many many forgeries are around so sometimes it's it's even easier before you start plating to just have a look under the microscope and says no chance anyhow mm-hmm. or okay looks good and uh, let's have a look yeah we're here hmm. yeah but this is the problem is you can't explain this to a, to a collector they they right. think you are nuts <laughs> <laughs> so uh, probably because it is but, but this is it is a little nuts yeah this is information that you built yourself. So this isn't shared between experts, correct? Or you put this together? Yeah, this is this is what I put together. Yeah. Could, could you, if not, it's it's sort of okay. But could you maybe share your screen again and show us an overlay to give a little demonstration of that? Yeah, sure. Just let me. The one that sticks out to me was the flug post memel overprints. I thought were interesting. Okay, let's see. As you can see, you can use it for many, like reperfing, and you can do a lot of mm. stuff. Let's see, what is that? See, you have this overprint. It's also not as nice example because it's taken from a dark lilac stamp. So that's kind of hard to extract the overprint sometimes, but it works. 
Let's see if I can find the more interesting one where you can really. Yeah. Okay. So you have here the, the overprint in question. Mm -hmm. And then you take, you see that, the, the flashing yeah. red? Yeah. Okay. And there you see it basically all fits quite well. Let's go to the A. See, even this this small break here, yeah, it just fits. And and this is a hand stem, so there there is a slight variation is allowed, depending on the state of the hand stem. Yeah, and so it, you would take a look at this, and and this would get your seal of approval. This would get the seal of approval. Yes. For instance, if you do these uh, hand stems, it's tricky sometimes. I do this a little smaller as I don't... Uh, it doesn't matter if people see it. <laughs> so this is basically what you do with hand stems. You see, okay, it's the very early time, and then you can see how stuff breaks. And if you have used material, you also know during which periods how the hand stem should look like and so on. And this is basically what you then... Wow. So you can watch it deteriorate in real time and you can use the cancellations to put them in chronological order. Yes. That's yes. incredible. And then you here have what what we call, what I call, I mean, there's not, no. This is, in reality, it's not black anymore. It's a, it's a blue overprint. It's a different, it's a different color. And you can really tell from which period on it uh, started to be fishy. Yeah. So this is what you can do with uh, the overlays. Ah, this is the one I was looking for. This is a good example of they they basically took parts of the original cliche hmm. and printed this on stamps, but the alignment isn't correct anymore. As you see here, it's it's the same position with all the small flaws the overprints have, but if you align one line. The others are off. Wow. So there's two different states of the same overprint? One is one is genuine and one is uh, forged. But oh but okay. Yeah, but what they, got, the they got their hands even on though, the originals. No, it's taken from the original cliche. Yeah. So this is similar to the backdated cancellations where they're using the same physical device to Yeah. Yeah, produce something. To it's produce just something. it has the the uh, wrong intention behind the production of it, which is what makes it a forgery. <laughs> is that a good way of saying? So if, if back then it was wrong intention, basically it was maybe just making little money for your family. I don't know, yeah. but uh, it's true. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to. Nowadays, yeah. nowadays it's a little more troubling than maybe it seemed back then. Are, are there any pieces of advice that you like to give to collectors to maybe protect themselves? A, a, a bit of advice, because obviously, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that are um, uh, shared between Memel and Czar and Danzig. Um, but are there any, uh, there's, there's also differences that are unique to each area. But what would you tell a collector who's maybe trying to um, protect themselves a little bit or, uh, you know, trying to figure out whether a stamp is a good investment are there any general rules that you can give somebody to, to look after themselves? Yeah, there are a few, and some of them may sound too simple. But for instance, if you're uh, able to distinguish between the printing techniques, like, like letterpress, lithography, intaglio, you're, you're able to sort out maybe like 60% of the crap that's around. When I, when I had been living with you for about, a month you gave me a test on printing methods yeah i remember <laughs> and i i i failed terribly because i had not yet worked in the business and i would uh i would like to take that same test again someday to see if i've improved in the last five years oh well, you know you're welcome anytime <laughs> <laughs> uh maybe not um so 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 learning uh you know what what uh, is engraving versus what is surface printing versus what is a wood block that, that's all something that can be applied across the globe Yes, yeah, yeah, obviously, and it's the same for, for overprints and basic stamps, because you see many, many, many of the forgeries around. 
they, they have been done by the cheapest method available then. For instance, you will hardly find fake engraved stamps because it's just so complicated to make the plate and so on. And, uh, and, yeah. and, and, and that same, by that same logic, an overprint might be a hand stamp, whereas it should be typeset. Or, you know, the, the original would have been typeset, no. and, and now they're just, it's, it's inkjet or it's a rubber hand stamp. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, for classic stamps or overprints, if you if you are really interested in an area, just buy the the cheap one, and you have enough comparison material. If you just look long enough at close-ups, you will find differences that will make you suspicious if something is is wrong. I, I didn't start differently. Basically, you know, you just look at the things and th what's what's different, and how is it possible? Is it possible? that this is just a normal thing due to the printing process or is something fishy. And yeah, what, what the advice I give to people is that I personally, if I just start new with an area, I wouldn't buy stuff without a certificate from a certain price level on. And in, in, at least in Germany, that's basically what a lot of people do. So if, if somebody's listening to this and they have had this light bulb over their head and they want to become a, a BPP expert. Send me an email. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can an American become a BPP expert? Yes. If they're willing to travel to Germany to take the tests and everything. For the tests, they would have to be there, yes. But uh, living in Germany is not a necessity for this. <laughs> So on that on that same kind of note, how many people would you say that apply to take the first test and the second test never really make it, if you will? What is the, uh, you know, how many people don't make it? Like 80 to 90 percent. Wow. So they're only accepting 10 percent for people. That's incredible. This is, uh, yeah, the sad yeah. percentage I can tell you from the last years, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and if I may, what is the, you said if you fail the first one, if you fail the second one, what's the criteria for failing the test? Is it a percentage of, of it's, correct? It's a percentage. It's, yeah. a per it's a percentage. And basically, it's not like you have to do like a 95% test. I mean, the, mm -hmm. no one can expect that. Because right, you're just starting out. Yeah, you because you're just studied, starting yeah. out and you have um, three years with a tutor Mm -hmm. So basically, it's more when we say, okay, we think he can do this and very important, he is willing to learn, which interestingly enough is often not the case. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> huh. so you really do have people thinking they already know everything and are just upset if you tell them that's not the truth. Hmm. So they, they will never make it, obviously, because even I think I'm doing this now for 13 years. Wow. I wouldn't, if I look back, I, I, I'm sure I wasn't near a good expert back then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is where the tutor comes in again and yeah. uh, where he told you a few times, well, no. And you will never, that's, the, that's actually the fun part. There hasn't been a year where I didn't learn something new or found a new discovery. Just the other weekend, I found, uh, uh, it's, yeah, to many people, it's most likely not interesting. But in the literature, there is a specific overprint type only listed in three fields. And now I could prove it's in five fields. So it's... Uh, hmm. Just something for you personally, then not uh, interesting for a lot of people. But you said something earlier that that uh, Michael and I have actually talked about in a in a different context in the past. But you you said that there's been um, uh, some complaints that there's no uh, school for becoming an expert, and that you know once you, once you're in, there's a lot of support and there's a mentor and there's a lot of um, you know, you, you, um, you know, it sounds like once you get your foot in the door, 
the opportunities are endless. But but getting people to that initial mm. stage, do you see any sort of uh, possibility or, or opportunity in the future for a uh, graduate course in philately for a uh, you know sort of a, a sanctioned um, uh, like, like a college course almost to, to get people <laughs> yeah. ready for that first test. Do you think that's something? Yeah. And, and Mike, Michael informed me that the ANA, the American Numismatic Association, mm-hmm. um, has a, a program like that for expertizing coins in the U.S. All and right. I don't think anything. Yeah, they, they it's a course. It costs about four or five hundred dollars and they give you a it, like 10, 11 books that you're supposed to read and then you have to take a test at the end that... that okay, they is, tell you about how coins are cast how coin, or other... Yeah, how, countries, blah, blah. Okay. how coins are made, specifically U.S. coins. So how okay. U.S. coins are printed, forgeries, how to, the differences between the different dyes and how to detect VAMs and Morgans and everything like that. And then you have to take a final test at the end and then you can kind of go on and become an, an expert and, and work for... The, the piece of paper that you hold at the end holds more weight than if you were to walk into PCGS or NGC and just say, I want to be an expert. So it's okay. kind of like a beginner course in how to become yeah. an expert. Yeah, there, the, the idea is there. Mm-hmm. No solution yet. Uh, obviously, people are thinking about it and trying to make that work. But maybe one of the biggest uh, things that can't be taken away from the person who wants to become an expert is that he has to own a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah, he has to own like the technology, he has to own his comparison collection, he has to own his card index register, which which makes it very tough and extremely unappealing to uh, young people to to put like 20, 30, 40, 50k into yeah. So that, I was wondering if it was inappropriate to ask if you had to take the average BPP expert, what what would you say the startup cost is in terms of yeah. The, 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 uh, on the one hand, you need. The, I can tell you from my side. I can tell you from my side. I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell for the others, but uh, uh, including the technology and everything, it was around forty thousand euro. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's but, a big barrier but, to entry. It, so, it, it, but there are opportunities to recoup that that initial yeah. investment through the expertizing. There's a financial incentive to doing this as well. As much as you love the stamps and as much as I'm sure all the BPP experts love the stamps, there's also a, uh, a, a, a future in making money at doing this, is there not? If you're good. The, <laughs> also, also, this depends, depends very much on the area you will choose. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you choose some of the, the German states or maybe World War II, yes, you can you can make some serious money on that. If you take, but also there you won't get far with twenty, thirty, forty thousand. Hmm. And if you, for instance, take Memo, you can spend forty thousand. And if you want to live on that, you go and look out for a nice bridge in Wiesbaden and stay there. <laughs> So it, it's it's really uh, a problem, and it's funny. I watched, um, I actually watched many of your videos by now, and I uh, I, I uh, heard Marcus Orsi say that experts would need to make a living out of this, and this is very complicated. There are there are guys in the BPP who make a good living out of that, but these are not even five people from a hundred. Hmm. And they invested six digits amounts to to get there. Yeah. So it, it helps if you have a profession within the hobby where everything you do at work is contributing towards your career as an expert as well. Yes, yes. And I also think that that technology, if you're if you're young and you're into technology and all this kind of stuff, this can help you a lot and save a lot of initial money. You don't need Ten thousands of same cancellations to, to start on. It's it's okay if you have these as digital uh, copies, and I think this will go more and more into uh, general acceptance that you can have stuff as good scans. You you can't do anything with a three hundred or six hundred DPI scan for expertizing. It's not good. You said you've been doing this thirteen years, but also no one can know everything. If at at one point you want to, you're specialized in ML. Uh, 
want to branch out and specialize in another area as well. <clears throat> is there a test you take for that, or do you just yeah. simply write to the BP? No, 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 no. Yeah, you have no, to take no, no. another it's test to become a specialist in another test area. Test number two over again. Yeah, you okay. don't have to redo the first test. Once you take that, you're. Once you take that, you're in there. There, if you really screw up, the board, <laughs> the board can decide that someone gets tutored again or has to take test number one again or so. Yeah. So this is maybe another thing I, I didn't tell in the in the BPP. You have individual experts, yes. Yeah. But there is a board who basically can uh, decide that you either get kicked out or, like I said, you, you get tutored or uh, someone is coming to you and looking if, if you really do this the proper way. And there is uh, something like, mm, is it? It's called Verbandsprüfstelle. I don't know <laughs> how to... Uh, <laughs> It's it's more like a um, association of the experts who watches out over all the other individual experts. So if there's a dispute between two experts, they go to this special group of people who then uh, get to decide and do some further testing and then basically tell who's been wrong or right. And this has been working quite well for the last 50 years. How many BPP experts are there? I would guess around 100 right now. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it sounds like there's a good balance of individual accountability, but also oversight so that somebody doesn't go rogue and just start writing certificates for whatever they want. No, no, no. You, you get kicked out faster than you can say, money, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do, do, do you think that a, a system like this could ever uh, find its footing um, uh, in America? I know it's a tough question, but we are so entrenched with APS, PSE, PF, and PSAG. Do you think that um, do you think this is something that that could ever? Because you know, you talk about an area like Hawaii could very easily have an individual expert, or uh, you know, early revenue first issue revenue stamps could have an expert, or. Uh, Kansas, Nebraska overprints could have an expert. Do you think this is something that could uh, uh, spread to, to other parts of the globe? As as I personally find this a, a good way, I, I personally could imagine, but it, it's very tough to, to judge uh, on something that has been going on for decades. Hmm. So... It- you know, there, there are also people here who think it's very sad that we don't do it as a committee. So I guess you always have uh, people on each side there. Yeah. But I, I do think that individual experts can have more uh, knowledge, obviously, than a committee, even if they if they reach out to, to other experts. Yeah. So, Toby, do you have anything else you, you uh, want to share about the process that you think people might find interesting? You're the... Uh, you're the expert here. So what? <laughs> huh. Good question again. So I can just uh, hope that uh, some people saw this and may find it interesting to also try to become an expert or at least, uh, yeah, dig a little deeper into philately and uh, teach themselves of how to tell the good apart from the bad, which can well, be... A lot of fun and, and rewarding. <laughs> and, and you said something when we were off camera that I'll, I'll bring up again here. But, you know, so a lot of what we've talked about has been about fake versus real. Uh, is the overprint genuine? Is it backdated? Is it uh, genuine? There's also this category of items which are genuine, but maybe have been played around with a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, sure. So can you talk about the importance of looking for that, uh, uh, you know, a corner that's been added or... Uh, re-gumming or re-perf or something like that. Because, again, there, there's, I'm sure, plenty of great rare items that um, need to be described and acknowledged properly if they're going to change hands. Yeah, sure. So besides all this color shade and perforation and overprints, obviously one of the most important parts of a value to the item is its, its condition. So has it been uh, altered or is it in the same state it's been printed and or used? 
And uh, yeah, this is basically a large part and sometimes the most tricky part of the expertization. Some are done very, very bad. Some are done <laughs> very, very good. And uh, some, I can say, I may have not detected 12 years ago. <laughs> But that's, that's also, uh, I guess, a normal process that uh, the more you do, the more you understand. And that's what... Um, if you are not very long into this, the, the card index register can actually help you out a lot. If you want, I just get a few cards from my register. Uh, th th yeah. this, is, this is a concept that's very uniquely uh, European and German specifically, so I would love to see. It's unique? To Germans? No. To Europe, I think. Okay. It, it, it's much more widespread in Europe. Hmm. Okay. Would you agree, Michael? Do you know people who have index cards of every example of a rare stamp? No. I mean, there's the Siegel Census, obviously, which is fantastic, and yeah. and um, and that sort of thing. But I think this is much more of a, a European. Just, uh, the Museum of Philately, I think, is Museum of Philately. Yeah. Okay. So uh, basically, the concept of this card index register is that you can trace an item's uh, history back to whenever. And uh, I did this for for area I want to do next, as this is most commonly done for the classical area. It's not so common for, for let's say, the plebiscites, because there aren't that many great rarities that have been offered already in the 1920s and so on. So, And the older it gets uh, with the provenance, I think the more fun it is. For instance, then you have, just as an example, they look rather boring. It's a. Uh, it's basically just um, the item, the description, and the auction and the date when it's been sold. And then you just, if you have them in several catalogs, you just put them together. And if you get it for expertizing, oftentimes you can see if the item has been uh, played with. For instance, the a corner was missing that suddenly is there. A perf has been missing that suddenly is there. Or The, what do you have often? The cancellation is faded and it's been uh, painted in with pencil. You have that a lot. So well, having images of an item from 100 years ago can be a huge, even if you couldn't detect, or even if it's difficult to detect the alteration uh, by just looking at the item, you can say it has changed a lot in the last century and therefore I know that it's been played with. Yes, yes. But, but also there, something, uh, I think you also discussed this in one of your videos with uh, Greg's daughter. Daisy, that, yeah. That um, to me also, it, it's a big difference if you do something to an item to preserve it or to get more money out of it. It's, mm. it's a huge difference. And it, I think commonly understood in the art world, is it's, it's no problem to preserve something as long as you describe it. It's, it's a different thing to do this, to cheat on people, obviously. But this is something that I would think uh, for all the classical rarities, it's something that people yeah, will need to accept in a few decades, I guess, if they still want these things around. Yeah. I was going to ask, if you work with people like uh, Daisy Todd, who repair items for kind of preserving them, Do they then report back to, uh, if it's a rarity, for example, um, experts and everything in that field to let them know that they've repaired that item? No. No, yeah. You no, just have to. So we, we don't send anything to uh, a guy who repairs, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a huge no. difference between the, the coin collecting era, or not era, but, but field is uh, NGC, who expertise coins, actually have a uh, conservation field as well, where if you submit a coin and they say this one needs to look a little better, we actually recommend that you submit this to the people who will, they'll clean it and they'll professionally make it look more appealing and then they submit it for grading. So it's, it's a huge difference where we don't do that in, in philately, but with coin grading, if you submit a coin that doesn't, doesn't look nice and they think they can clean it properly, They'll clean it first, then submit it for grading. But but that's a well-known... People accept that within the coin-collecting world. 
Yeah, and maybe the problem is stamps are a little more fragile. Than <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, that and they don't want people to improperly. You see a lot of people trying to improperly buff coins out, or or they clean it with chemicals that are too toxic, and it, it, it you know kind of fades the coin or stuff like that. So they they want to do things correctly rather than people try and take it in their own hands and and clean the coin and and mess it up. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the whole repairing or altering uh, stamps, it's, it's a huge thing. And uh, if you look back in the 60s, 70s and 80s, mm. it has rarely been described. Mm. Maybe uh, even because people weren't aware too much of that problem. Where, where nowadays it's, it's a huge part of the uh, expertizing and maybe the largest uh, portion of dispute when when people don't agree with your opinion mm. when they say no 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 this has not been added or what so on and yeah well can, can i ask one last question in that regard yes do you do you ever have difficulty uh deciding what to mention on a certificate and what not to mention because yes. if you have a cover that's 150 years old, I think there's an expectation that there's going to be some natural wear and tear. If something passed through the mail, yeah. you know, the, 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 these, these things have, have lived for, for a century and a half. So do you ever find it difficult, you know, when to call something out as a fault versus when to just accept something as natural? Yeah, it, it, it's very tough sometimes, especially when you newly start with an uh, area. It's sometimes it's very tough to decide uh, if something is still in a normal range or if it should be mentioned, especially because the the German BPP people, they are liable for what they do. Mm-hmm. So if, if I write a certificate for something that's uh, genuine and someone proves that it's fake, I will have to give him his money back. Not for There's the a huge difference between... Money. For the stamp he purchased, yeah, yeah, huge difference between the American and the BPP yeah. in that regard. Yeah, yeah, this this is one tricky thing, and why many are, yeah, careful. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned people getting uh, kicked out or or retrained. Is there kind of like a bar if you get X many certificates incorrect, or is it a tier? And- is that well-defined or yeah. no? No, no, no. It, it can't be well-defined because there are people that write like 5,000 certificates a year. Yeah. They are obviously allowed a little more errors than someone who's writing five certificates a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and last, last question. I know I just said last question. But <laughs> do you ever just shrug your shoulders and say, I don't know? Yes. Is that, accept- is that acceptable for a, a, an expert to just say that the, the current technology doesn't allow me to confidently say one way or the other? Yes, of course. I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. It's, for me, it's not a problem to say. I mean, I, I have a little note, then I say, please resubmit in one, two years, and maybe I found something out that hmm. helps me. Happens, especially for cancellations. Rarely for repairs. But sometimes it's, uh, for instance, tough, tough to tell exactly what has been done to the stamp. You can say it has been repaired, but to get to the total extent of what has been done, it's very tricky sometimes, especially when they're on piece or on cover. It's virtually impossible if it's done very, very well. If you want, I looked out for, uh, for one more picture. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the repairs that is so insanely good. You see this? Yep. Mm-hmm. So could you tell what has been done? Um, no, on the top left, the yeah, the corners, the the corner in the left has been replaced. So do you want me the to curve. line out what has been what yeah. has been done? Yeah. Yeah. So this here has all been added. It was for all of it. Stem. Yeah, wow, because it's because it's darker. Yeah, and you can really, if you go closer, you can follow the fibers. 
and really see where the break is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so these things are very tough to detect. When would this have been done? Was this a was this a classic repair? Was this done a long time ago, or is this a more modern technology? No, actually, to to my experience, this has been done quite a while ago. Wow! Nowadays, people don't have time to do that. Hmm. <laughs> Funny that the the fakes have gotten worse as technology gets better. <laughs> yeah, it's quite interesting. But this is, I mean, it's not not to scare people. I mean, this is a very very rare occurrence here. Mm-hmm. that something has been done that good. Wow. Most things are just done very poorly. And I'm sure with, with a little training, uh, 90% of the collectors would be able to tell. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I have one final, I know Charles got to say his final question. I'll, I'll, I have one more. What happens if there's uh, no expert in a specific field? So you want to go to... <clears throat> You want to go into a field and they, they get accepted in the BPP and they put you under and you have to tutor for three years. What if there's yeah. no one to train under? Does that happen ever? Yeah, sure. I think for most of my areas, there was no one. This is why I took them. So they just had to take me. No, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> no um, they they will try to get someone as close as it gets to your area. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were to do U.S. classics, they they can give you any classic expert, basically, because many of the questions, even though it's a completely different stamp, will be the same. You know, if if a cancellation is painted in or a stamp has been repaired, it doesn't matter what stamp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, The bigger problem then for the BPP is to really judge if you know what you're doing. Yeah. When there is no one even close to that area, it's it's a rather tough job to uh, tell. But usually, for the last, let's say, like I don't know, decade or so, people need to have this card index register. Mm. And if you have a card index register, re- you really know what you're talking about because you've seen thousands of cards and you had to sort it for, uh, to a certain criteria and. Uh, Basically, just working a few days through one of those card indexes uh, will tell you a lot. Hmm. Yeah, so the assumption is if you have that, you know what you're doing. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. Toby, thank you so much for joining us. I've really... uh, It's been over a year since I saw you last, which is the, uh, the longest gap between my trips to Germany for quite some time now so uh so i i i i miss getting to hang out in person this was a fun consolation cool. yeah very enjoyable thank you yeah thank you so much this has been awesome okay. good bye 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 well i hope i didn't oversell that episode but i i really think this is um no offense to our previous guests like top three for me top yeah, one this for me maybe top one <laughs> <laughs> this is in the top one episode of all the episodes we've done. Yeah. Um, I feel like I say this about a lot of our episodes. It's just really invigorating to talk to these people and get excited about the hobby and everything. But So what are you going to become an expert in? If you're feeling that invigorated, what are you going to do? That's a to great read? question. That's a great question. I really got to find something where there's not anyone, like Toby said, and so I'll have to be accepted. Um, exactly. It, it's super interesting to see because we know how – expertizing works here in the u.s and obviously you knew how it worked in germany but uh, right, I but we, we don't often get a behind the scenes peek either right. this is a very clandestine process where we send our stamps off and we don't see them for two mm-hmm. months and then they come back miraculously with a an opinion well and, and i think the fact that toby pulls the curtain back a little bit um that look into how he expertizes material, into how he certifies whether or not it's real, the fact that he's he's utilizing the future technology almost, or current current technology, but it just seems so futuristic in the world of philately, uh, to ensure that the material that we're submitting is or is not genuine. It, it, it it's more. I love this paradox where he's using modern technology to detect repairs that were made a hundred years ago. Yeah. And even with modern technology, it's just it it's difficult. 
it's hard and we really need these experts. Like he said, it's not easy to get in. He said 80 to 90% of people do not make it into the BPP. This is an open challenge. I'm challenging you and I to have a race. Who can become an expert for first? (laughs) Yeah. We got to go to Germany to take the test. Um, Absolutely. That's the incentive in and of itself. Yeah. um, I'd even go, I'd go just to fail the test just to have a trip to Germany. 80 to 90 percent. I can't get over that number. That's that not only did the use of, of of modern technology to certify the material put me more at ease, but but the fact that they're so strict with who they're accepting into this organization to allow material to be certified is just it's it's crazy. It's I, I'm with you. I agree. Yeah. So. You have to well, really be an expert. Well, I, I hope that if you've made it this far, you were watching on YouTube. But if you weren't, mm-hmm. if you were, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. Uh, we're online at flatterlypodcast.com. We have an email, flatterlypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Toby, for taking the time to yeah. uh, show us, you know, to help us visualize. It's one thing to hear about it. It's another to see it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and just a huge thank you to, to Toby for, for yeah. taking the time to do this. We're going to have him back. To we, let's, try and, let's try and stump him. Let's, That'd be interesting. I'm gonna, I'm going to try and create a fake memo over print to see if I can get one past Toby. <laughs> Good luck. Did you see what that's insane that all the research that he's built by himself, yeah. I was, yeah. I was just flabbergasted at the fact that this information is not shared between experts. This is his work that he has on his computer in these massive files to help him expertise material. Um, I think I can get him. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, let's have him back on it. <laughs> exactly, pencil. Let's have him back on to uh, to, to maybe do a you know a, 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 a te- you know I'm going to buy some random stamps. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send them to uh, to to Toby, and yeah. um, I'll see what happens. Yeah, that'd be um, that'd be really interesting because we've seen how he does things, but but him showing us directly what like with the stamp that we've submitted. Yeah, that'd be that'd be super interesting. Be this is a great fun, episode. I I really enjoyed it. I did as well. And uh, let's do it again real soon. Yeah, absolutely. I'll talk to you uh, next time. Sounds good, man.